I have our scripture reading for today. We are in Luke 2, verses 8 through 20. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great, of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. There will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about, the ch about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we have lit a candle for joy this morning, and I pray that a small flame might also find its place in our hearts for joy, a flame that might grow and grow as our hearts gaze more and more at the good news of great joy, which is for us and for all people, that a Savior has come, Emmanuel, God with us has come to rescue us. May we see that again this morning as abundantly good news that should cause our hearts to respond with joy. We ask this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. Joy is a response. You may have been told that Happiness is a response to our circumstances, but joy is a state of mind. You may have read that on a church marquee somewhere, or perhaps on a greeting card that your mama gave you. But, newsflash, church marquees can be wrong. Why not just use scripture, people? Church marquees can be wrong. Greeting cards can be wrong. Your mama, bless her heart, can be wrong. Joy is a response. It's the heart's response to good news. It's the heart's response to what is good and beautiful and true. Joy is a response to beautifully good realities. But... Joy is, of course, not the only response to reality. In our passage today, we're going to see four responses. Four responses to the reality of Christmas and the Christmas story. Our primary focus is going to be on joy, but joy is not the only response in the story of Christ's birth. There are others. The first response in our passage is actually one of fear. Fear. 
If you're taking notes, here's our first heading. First thing I want you to see is this, the response of fear. The response of fear, which is verses 8 and 9. Verse 8 says, In the same region there were also some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. Terribly frightened. Joy is a response, but fear is also a very natural human response. It's a natural response when you find yourself in a scary situation. Now, I'm sure we've all been in a scary situation or two before, and we can recall our gut reaction, our gut response. I vividly remember the two instances in which I was the most afraid. The first came on a mission trip to Paris. This is before we lived in Paris. We would take teams from our churches over to, uh, to help Parker Wendell and his church there, Emmanuel International Church. And uh, we took the team. We had a great week. It was amazing, all the things we were able to do. Put the team on a plane and sent them back home. And Lynn and I had a little anniversary trip for a couple of days. Rented a car, drove around Normandy, came back. I dropped Lynn off with Parker, and I was going to take the rental car back to the airport all by myself. No need to buy two train tickets to come back. So I, I, I go, I take the car to the airport. Uh, things go well with the exchange. It is getting late, though. It's almost midnight, and I go down to the train terminal, and the train arrives. All the people are getting off. I get on the train, and I'm not on it very long before the doors close, and I think, huh. I'm the only one on this train. And it's not very much longer before the lights go off on this train. And at this point, I realize, uh uh-oh, this isn't as it ought to be. So I go to the door and try to open it, and the door is locked. People are coming down to the platform, and I'm waving at them, and they're like this, and I'm like this. And a few minutes more go by of me trying to get out, and then the train takes off from the platform. And I go from being in, in, the, in the lighted area to in complete darkness. And for the first 30 seconds, I am afraid. I'm like, oh no, what am I going to do? My response is fear. I will tell you how that story ends but not right now. (laughs) Particularly, I have some some youth here. I want to keep awake as long as I can. Uh, I will tell you how that story ends, how, for me, all alone, locked on a speeding train in the dark of midnight, sharing. I want you to share in that response of fear for a little bit longer while I tell you my second story. The setting for this story is a family vacation. Back in 2017, we lived in the north of England at the time, and we could drive to Scotland for vacation quicker than you could drive to Gulf Shores for vacation, and it's a lot cheaper than Gulf Shores. We only made that trip twice. Both times were super memorable, but one of those times because I was so terribly frightened. On this trip, we drove through the Scottish Highlands, crossed the bridge onto the Isle of Skye, and almost immediately we have one misadventure, which... James, our son, can tell you about, and his, his, that's his story to tell. Uh, but we pressed on through that misadventure to the fairy pools 
on the Isle of Skye, which are these kind of cascading pools of water that are different colors for whatever reason. Uh, beautiful. Uh, I take the kids on a hike, but Lynn's not able to hike at the time. She has a, uh, a piece of glass in her foot that we didn't know was there. Um, so she's, I put her on a bike and say, go to the end of this road. It will end at the seaside. There's a, a, a little camping area there. Uh, you'll enjoy that. So I put her on a bike while I take the kids off on a hike. But as we're hiking, I begin to come a little anxious about Lynn. I've just sent my wife off all by herself on a bike. Uh, and I don't, know where, I don't know exactly what things are like down this road. Uh, and so I turn the kids back. Uh, once again, as stuck on the train in Paris, I have no cell phone reception. I have no phone in Paris, by the way. I have no cell phone reception here. No way to call. Uh, cut the hike short. We take the drive down to the seaside. And when we get there... Lynn is nowhere to be found. Nowhere. Uh, I get in the car, and I start retracing the route I sent her on again and again, stopping random Scottish people to ask them, have they seen a girl on a bike anywhere? Uh, I'm beginning to panic as the father, though. I'm trying to hold it in because when dad's panicking, kids, you know, it's really time to panic. So I'm, I, but the fear is growing in me this whole time. The kids and I drove up and down that road several times. The fear is growing in me that I have just lost my wife. And the kids have just lost their mother, and we may never know what happened. I mean, you know how that is. And you can tell by the fact that we're both here today that everything worked out in those scary situations. But before I tell you how those two stories end, let's turn to the shepherd's story. Put yourself in the shepherd's shoes. You're bunking down in the field for what appears to be another normal night. More normal than taking a train journey in Paris, which happens a lot. More normal than family hikes in Scotland, which happen a lot. You are a shepherd doing your normal thing and expecting yet another uneventful night watching the flock. But then... Out of nowhere, a majestic being of light and glory suddenly appears before you. And your gut reaction is fear. Fear. What's happening? What have I done? What is he here to do? You are a lowly impoverished shepherd in the first century, but I imagine the exact same response of fear would also fill the hearts of the richest people alive today. Doesn't matter. Same response. In one moment, all your securities and every foundation in this life you thought was firm has been upended by this appearance. In the presence of this messenger of light, You cannot but help feel your own darkness, the stain of your sin, like never before. Fear that your doom has come, your hour has come, is a natural response to such circumstances. But, verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The response of fear 
has just given way to something completely unexpected. Joy. Joy. Here's the second thing I want you to see. The response of joy. It's our second heading. The response of joy in verses 10 through 12. Go back with me now to my moment of fear, trapped all alone in a foreign country, on a speeding train, no phone, no way to let them know. They're going to think I'm dead. <laughs> Something, I've dead in a ditch somewhere. Uh, I'm going to have to go where trains sleep for the night. That's, that's my fate. Uh, I'm afraid. My initial response of fear quickly turned into something else. A pouring out of my heart to God in prayer. Lord, help me. What do I do? I, I imagine for many of us, fear quickly gives way to that response as well. Uh, it's, fear is quickly converted into prayer. As I'm praying in my distress, two words flash through my mind. Two words. Emergency handle. Emergency handle. And at that moment, we pass some lights, and I see it. A red handle right there beside the door. And what do I do? Without a second thought, I pull that thing. And it's like a, a 10,000 euro fine, but I pull that thing. Uh, and it, it's not like the movies when you pull emergency handles. Anybody pulled an emergency handle? Okay, it's not like the movies where the train starts jerking and comes to a stop. Uh, things went on for, for like five seconds, completely normal, and then the intercom comes on. Thankfully, this is a train who actually had a conductor on it. Not all trains in Paris do. This one did. The, tr the train conductor comes on, speaking in French, of course, and I, I just respond, Je suis American, <laughs> which is French for, I don't know what I'm doing here. Help me. And it, it doesn't take long after that before the lights come on again and the train comes to a stop at the next station and I just have to wait for the next train and get on that. And uh, that's, that's the story there. You can imagine my relief. You can imagine my relief when I drive down that Scottish road for the fourth time looking for my wife and then here she comes pushing her bike up the beach. She had been there the whole time, safe and sound, journaling, enjoying herself, apparently on that one part of the beach that wasn't visible to me. I imagine her sitting there with Claire de Lune playing in the background, just enjoying life, seeing the gentle waves crash in and out, while I am frantically stopping every random Scottish person asking them if they've seen my wife. Uh, she was at peace the whole time while I was panicking. The emergency handle was there the whole time, waiting to be pulled while I was filled with fear. God had already provided. My initial response of fear was turned to joy with the good news, when I realized the good news of his provision. J.R.R. Tolkien said that there is a joy that pierces so deep, it brings tears. I might have shed a tear as I saw Lynn coming up from the beach. My fear gave way to a piercing joy 
as I had found my wife again. The shepherd's initial response of crushing fear gave way to great joy as they realized God's provision. God had provided for them a savior, a savior. This isn't death. This isn't the end. This is the beginning of something great. Good news of great joy. That's what the angels proclaim. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Joy is the natural response to unexpectedly good news. In a moment of shock and awe, in a moment of fear, the shepherds think their doom has come. But the message of the angel is surprising. And it's surprisingly good. It isn't a pronouncement of judgment. It's an announcement of salvation. It is good news of great joy. God's great rescue mission is underway. It has begun. The Savior of mankind has been born. And to the lowest of the low, to the most rough and tumble, to those most disregarded by others, this announcement of good news has come. Everyone would have said, including the shepherds themselves, that they were the very last ones deserving this attention, deserving to receive this announcement. Shepherds sleeping rough outside in the field were below everyone's notice, but not God's notice. God surprisingly blesses these shepherds with a proclamation of good news that they don't deserve. And this is precisely the kind of place where joy abounds, where joy spontaneously abounds. The shepherds deserved neither salvation nor this announcement, but in getting what they didn't deserve, their natural, spontaneous response has to be joy. Joy. Because when we feel the greatness of the chasm between what we deserve, on the one hand, and what we get, what we receive, on the other hand, joy becomes the most natural response in the world. Have you seen that? Have you found that to be true? Do you know this response in receiving a gift? Oh, you shouldn't have. It's really too lavish. I really don't deserve it. If you felt like you did deserve it, then you would, your response wouldn't be one of joy, would it? We don't rejoice in things we deserve that are our due because they come to us like wages. We're entitled to them. If we're receiving what we're entitled to, we're getting what we deserve. And we would be angry and cry foul if someone wrongfully withholds what we deserve, what we're due. Joy isn't like that. Joy isn't often found in getting the good thing we think we deserve. Joy is very often found in getting the good that we know we don't deserve. That's what the shepherds are getting. That's what we are getting. 
Whenever you want your heart to rejoice, do this. Do what I do. I ask myself, KJ, what do you deserve? I deserve God's judgment. I know it. But KJ, what do you receive in Christ? In Jesus, I have received adoption into God's family. I've received forgiveness from all my treason. I've received 10,000 daily graces now and eternal life in a renewed universe to come. When faced with the stark contrast between what I deserve and what I receive, the natural response of a believing heart can only be one thing, joy. Joy. Good news produces great joy. It ought to produce great joy if we really believe it. That's the key, isn't it? If we really believe it. The trouble is that we can begin to take the good news for granted. The good news becomes old news to our sleepy hearts. But Christmas comes every year. It comes again. It comes every year at the darkest time of the year as a reminder to our sleepy hearts to wake up. Wake up. There is something worth celebrating. Wake up and rejoice in a child born for us, a Savior given to us. The light has stepped into our darkness. Christmas comes every year as a call to joy. For that matter, Sunday comes every week as a call to joy, as a reminder that our Savior lives. He has defeated death. Our hope is a living hope in Jesus' resurrection. God has built rhythms into our life, into our weeks, into the changing of the seasons that ought to reawaken our hearts to joy, that ought to reawaken us to repeat the sounding joy again and again. Good news of great joy is what the shepherds were given. Good news of great joy is what we've been given. Let's live like it as we take every opportunity to believe afresh and rejoice anew in this good news. The response of joy. That's the second response. Here's the third response I want you to see in our passage. It's the response of wonder. The response of wonder. We see that in verses 13 through 19. And suddenly... There appeared with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into, the, into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had, when they had seen this, They made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And, verse 18, all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. Wonder. 
the response of wonder. Wonder is our natural response when we stand back and take in God's work. We would not have done things this way, would we? If we were running the show, we would not have done things the way God has done it. If we were writing the story, this isn't the way we would have written it. God clearly, as my father says, does not run his train on our track. His thoughts are above our thoughts. His ways are a thing of wonder. The gospel is a thing of wonder both to men and to angels. In the gospel, God goes farther to show his love goes farther to redeem his people, goes farther to share his glory than we could ever have envisioned possible. Our response should be one of wonder, like the people here, should be one of wonder. The incarnation is a thing of wonder. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. The infinite has become an infant. And that is a thing of wonder. The atonement is a thing of wonder. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? That is a thing of wonder. The only innocent one takes our place so that we, the guilty, might be declared innocent. The resurrection is a thing of wonder. Dying once he all doth save. Where is your victory, O grave? Death, the great enemy and separator, has lost its sting, has forfeited its fear, has been transformed from utter loss to unimaginable gain. The gospel Incarnation, atonement, resurrection. The gospel is a thing of wonder. You have every day of your life to wonder at the good news of God's great mercy. Along with 10,000 other little mercies and wonders that God has placed in your life. G.K. Chesterton once said that the world will never starve for want of wonders, but only for want of wonder. The wonders are there. The wonders of God are all around us. If there is a deficiency, it isn't found out there. It's found in here. It's found in my heart's lack of wonder at God's wonders. Clyde Kirby, who was a professor of English literature at Wheaton back in the 1970s, he gave his students 10 resolutions for mental health, back before people even talked about mental health. Uh, Much, he he gave this. This is his first resolution, number one. He said, at least once every day, I shall look steadily up at the sky and remember that I a consciousness with a conscience, am on a planet traveling in space with wonderfully mysterious things above and about me. The wonders are there. 
God's wonders are all around us. If there is a deficiency, it isn't out there. It's found in my failure to look, my failure to see. The emergency handle has always been there. It is always there to stop the runaway train of my dark thoughts and joyless apathy. The emergency handle has always been there the whole time. Pull it. Pull it and wonder. The tranquil peace of the seaside has always been there, even while we were frantically searching for something else. Don't rush up and down the road frantically looking for joy because she is there. She has always been there. If you only take the time to enjoy the seaside and the wonder of God in his works, you'll find her. You'll find the joy you thought you lost. Take the time this Christmas to pause and look and respond in wonder. Respond in renewed wonder to God's plan. Respond in fresh wonder to God's Savior. There's a a fourth and final response, and then we're done. It's verse 20, and it is the response of praise. The response of praise. Verse 20, the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. Heard and seen, just as had been told to them. What response naturally follows when our fears give way to joy? What response naturally follows when the mundane gives way to wonder? Isn't it praise? Isn't that the natural response? Isn't praise what naturally flows from our hearts? The shepherds went away praising God for all they had heard and seen. Praise is also a response, isn't it? Here we are told praise is the shepherd's response to everything they had seen and heard. C.S. Lewis observed this about praise. He says, the world is full of praise. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses. Readers their favorite poet. Walkers praising the countryside. Players praising their favorite game. Praise of weather. Wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, and countries, rare stamps, and rare beetles. I now noticed how the humblest and at the same time most balanced and capacious minds praised most, while the cranks, misfits, and malcontents praised least. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. Do you understand that? You get that? Lewis observed that praise is our natural response. We all naturally praise what we enjoy because praise not merely expresses our enjoyment, it is the consummation that completes our enjoyment. In other words, you will not enjoy God fully until your heart rings 
with praise, with his praises. It will be natural. Whatever you enjoy, you praise. Heaven will be full of praises because heaven will be full of the enjoyment of God. You will not enjoy God fully until your heart overflows with praise for God. And your heart won't ring with his praises until, like the shepherds, your heart really believes that you have heard and seen his Savior. So, what does this mean for us this Christmas? In the midst of all the hustle and bustle, the Christmas shopping and parties, take time, like Lynn at the Scottish seaside, take time to let the wonder of it all wash over you. When the wonder washes over you, the praise will come. It has to. It's a natural response. Or when the darkness of a Christmas without a loved one hits you like the force of a runaway train, lift up your eyes. Look for the emergency handle. Grasp hold of the gospel with all your might and pull. Like a sweet release, the gospel contains good news of loss turned into gain, of death turned into life, of deepest sorrow turned into highest joy. Pull the emergency brake. Hear the voice of the conductor saying, all will be well and all manner of things shall be well. See again the great chasm between the punishment you deserve and the reward I shall give you. Believe afresh this good news, and in believing, your heart will find joy this Christmas. And with your heart rejoicing anew, your lips will naturally be filled with praise. This is the way to joy this Christmas and every Christmas. Grab hold of the gospel like an emergency break for your soul and feel again the great joy of the good news because joy is a response. It is our never-ending response to the God who has moved heaven and earth to rescue us. Let's pray together. Father, I do pray in response to this encounter with your word and the good news it's announced that every heart, every sleepy heart might be awakened to joy, afresh and anew. A Savior has come. Our sin has been defeated. Death has its sting taken away, its power broken. A Savior for the world has come, and this is great news of great joy. Let us celebrate this Christmas season. All the darkness push aside because the light has come. May we be a people of joy because we are a people of light. We are a people of the King. And may our continual response to all that you have done for us in Jesus be rejoicing. 
And because we rejoice, may it be praise from our lips to you. But we ask for this response, for our delight and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.